Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, do not cling to me or do not hold on to me. The Lord Jesus said that to Mary Magdalene. It may seem what a kind of a strange reaction or command to Mary at this point. Mary, who had a hard time to believe that the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead. She was fully convinced he was still dead. The body had been taken away somewhere. And now she comes to see her Lord, her Master. He's alive. So that the change in her must have been tremendous. She must have held on to him. And then he says to her, do not hold on to me. It seems somewhat cool. Somewhat distant. Why was Mary told not to hold on to the Lord Jesus? The other women who met the Lord also that very morning, they fell down and they held on to his feet. They weren't told, don't touch me, don't hold on to me. And soon, Thomas, who couldn't believe it either, was told by the Lord himself, touch me, my hands, my side, and you know it is me. So why is it that Mary Magdalene was not allowed? The text gives an indication in that in verse 17, after the Lord says, do not hold on to me, he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. And twice he speaks about his ascension. That means the reason for Mary not being allowed to hold on to him is the, the progress that the Lord has in mind. The word that became flesh, that lived among us, now came back to life. And that word has a purpose. It has a goal. Because with that word, our Lord wants to reach all the nations in this world and so seek the glory of the Father. And that is why he says to Mary at this point, do not hold on to me. The theme for the sermon then this afternoon is that very command, do not hold on to me. And we want to look at three things, brothers and sisters. First, we see in our passage the power of the word. And then... Secondly, we see the purpose of the word. And thirdly, we see the people of the word. And when I speak about the word, keep in mind that in the gospel according to John, that word is also the name of the Son of God who became man. So the power of the word, the purpose of the word, and the people of the word. Our text this afternoon deals with Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene belonged to those, the group that followed the Lord Jesus as he was ministering. She was a woman. She had been delivered by the Lord Jesus from several demons, and after having been set free from these demons, she she had committed her life to, to serving the Lord And you read in the Gospels that, especially also in the end, she's there. Whereas 
several of the disciples ran away, and we don't hear too much about them. From the Gospels you learn that, that when he was crucified, Mary Magdalene was there too. When he was taken down from the cross, she was there. When he was put into the tomb, she was there. And now, on this first day of a new week, after the day of rest and the Sabbath, she is ready in the morning, right away, to go out there, to be at the tomb. Not because she wants to witness the resurrection. She doesn't go out there and hurries to go out there because she knows something is going to happen. It's the opposite. She goes there to take care of a dead body. She wants to pay respects to the body of her master. Now in our text in, in John, Mary is, is in the focus, but, but we know that from the other Gospels that she was not alone initially. All the four Gospels, they, they record the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and they have their own focus, they have their own audience, and with that in mind, they also select what they record. And Mary went to the tomb with others. And that's why in verse 2, when she sees that the tomb is open, she runs back and she says to Peter and John that they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. The we there is an indication that she was not alone, although John does not speak about that. But we know that from the other Gospels. It is interesting, though, that Mary Magdalene is described in John here as one who is quite a bit on her own. Whereas the others, you see them more together. Mary is on her own even when she comes to the tomb, when she goes into the tomb, also when she meets the Lord Jesus. She deals with her grief. She deals with her sorrow by herself. But initially, there were more women who went out there. If, if we put the things together a little bit with the different Gospels, then there were several women who early that first day of a new week went to the tomb. They're all motivated by grief. Grief that, that was in a way fueled by not believing the scriptures, John says, because, well, death is so final. Who expects someone who has died to come back again? So they, they go to the tomb in order to, take their, to pay their respects. But when they come to the tomb, these women, then they see that a tomb is, is open, now, from Matthew, we know, too, that there was an earthquake. There was an angel coming down. He sat on the stone. He talked to the women. But it seems that Mary was already gone by that time because she doesn't know about that. That as soon as she sees that tomb open and the stone rolled away, she right away runs back to tell Simon and John. And in the meantime, these other women come to the tomb. They see the angel. Then they also see the Lord himself. But Mary went a different way. Must not have met them. Instead, she goes to Peter and John. And then Peter and John, they ran to the tomb. And they didn't all nicely walk together either. The one was their first John, the younger one. And then Peter comes later. And it seems like Mary came later yet. And, and John first looks at the tomb and says, yes, it's empty. But then, but then Peter, he goes into it. And he sees that the linens are there. 
So it cannot be robbery that someone has stolen the body. There must be more. And then you see the light dawning. And, and, and yes, it was not full, clear, but they start to realize that something else has happened. That is John and Peter. But now we, we are with Mary. And again, it seems as if John and Peter are not really talking to Mary, haven't shared with Mary what they think, because she's still there, and she comes to the tomb, and she's still convinced the body has been stolen. And that's how our text opens. And then, as she is there, and she's weeping, then she goes into the tomb, and and as she goes into the tomb, she, she, she sees two angels. They must not have been there when Peter and John were in the tomb. But now that Mary goes in, they are there, and they ask her, why are you crying? And she gives the answer, well, I'm, I'm looking for my master. His body was here. I remember that we buried him, but he's no longer here. Someone has taken him away. That's the only reason that Mary can see for an empty tomb. Someone took the body. And the very fact that angels were present there could tell her otherwise. Angels would not sit there when a robbery had occurred, when thieves or maybe people from the Sanhedrin had come to steal the body. The angels are in the scriptures the evidence of God at work. The presence of God. His presence to redeem. His presence to show who he is. So the very fact that these angels were there. That should have caused her to think twice. And and to say well they have stolen my master. God is at work. But she doesn't realize that. Makes you think of one of the parables that the Lord Jesus once told, the parable of Lazarus and that rich man. The parable where you have this this poor man, Lazarus, eating the crumbs that comes from the table of the rich man, and, and the rich man who had everything he wants and they die, and the roles in the way are reversed because the rich man is in hell and Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. And, and the rich man sees Lazarus there and recognizes him and says, Abraham, could you please send him to earth? Because my brothers, if they don't repent, they'll end up in the same place. And then Abraham says, well, if somebody will come back from the dead, they won't believe in. If they do not believe the scriptures, that no matter what happens, it won't cause them to change. You have to believe the word. The word has to do it. Well, that's exactly the point here too. The word does it. And the word and also in the person of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because as Mary gives the answer to the angels, she has a sense that there's someone standing behind her. She doesn't even listen or wait for their response. She turns around, sees another person there, and she thinks that he is a gardener. But it is the Lord Jesus, the Word, the living Word. And he asks her too, why are you crying? Who do you look for? 
And again, she gives the same answer. She thinks, well, maybe you have taken him away. Let me know, and I'll go and take him back. That's how deep her unbelief is. You see, and then the word comes. Then the Lord calls her by name. Mary, he says. And that suddenly changes everything for Mary. Suddenly she realizes who it is that is speaking to her. It is her master. And that's what she says too. Rabuni, master. And notice right away the respect that comes out of there. It's not something colloquial. No, she, she honors him. This is the teacher. But what a, what a beautiful moment for this woman who was so stuck in her unbelief now to be confronted with the truth of the victory of God. She sees the Lord and she must have held on to him. But before we move on to that, I want you to consider how this happened. How did Mary come to realize it was the Lord? And the answer is very simple. It is he calling her name. That is the power of the word. It's not some miracle that does it. It is the simple calling of her name. And so the word shows his power, how we can change things around, how we can open what is closed and penetrate into minds and hearts of people. Faith. Faith is the result of him calling her by her name and she recognizing that voice. And that brings in the focus here about You read in John 10, when the Lord Jesus explains who he is, and he uses in John those those metaphors. For example, the one that we read about the shepherd, and that he as a shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. But he also speaks about the way the sheep can recognize him, and how he knows them, that, that he knows them by name. I know my sheep by name. And my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And that, what he said there in John 10, that comes into our text. Because this sheep, Mary, she did not believe. But he calls her by her name. He knows her needs. He knows that she needs to be convinced. And he, with his word, comes to her and by the power of that word he changes her around and she responds because she recognizes the voice. Easter is the feast of the power of the word. Easter is the celebration and the joy of how powerful that word is is in that he calls us by name as the living one. The living word calls you by your name and he comes to you 
And he says, here I am. He did it to Mary. He also does it to you today. He does it every Sunday. When he comes to you and he calls you. No, he doesn't mention your name, perhaps, so directly as the Lord did here to Mary. But, brothers and sisters, when that word of the living Christ comes to you, then he knows you. He knows your needs. He knows the needs of all those who belong to him. And he calls you. He knows if you're overwhelmed by grief as Mary was. He knows if you do not know what to do because of the brokenness of life. He knows the challenges that you may face in life and the questions that you have, the hardship, the difficulties. He knows that. And he comes to you with his word and he calls you. And he calls you by name. Because he knows you by name. And so he helps you to go on. He helps you to focus on him. And that's our second point. Having seen the power of the word, we'll come to see now the purpose of the word. And that brings us to verse 17. Mary may have fallen on her knees and held on to the feet of the Lord Jesus. She may have also embraced him, maybe held on to his arm. You, you know how it is when, when you don't expect a person to be there and you were very overwhelmed by your grief that he, he's not there and suddenly you realize he's here. She, she may have held on to him. The text doesn't say it. What the text does say, the Lord's saying, don't hold on to me. And why is that? Well, it's not because it is sinful to touch the body of the Lord Jesus. The other examples are there of the women who, who held on to his feet and were not told, were not allowed to do it, or, or Thomas who has to touch him. So it's not sinful to touch the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor is it as if the body of our Lord was some kind of a ghost-like body. Our Lord, who rose from the dead, he has a real Physical body, a real physical human body. He can eat, he can drink, he can talk. So you can embrace it too. You can touch it. Then why was she not allowed to hold on to it? And I already indicated to you the reason is given in verse 17. Because he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father and then it's repeated when he says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father my God, and your God. You see, the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead. But that is not the end of his work. That will be followed by a whole lot more that he has to do. It has to be followed by him ascending to the Father, receiving power and glory and authority in order to rule the nations and to push all the events in the world to the day when the number of God's people will be full. So he is not back to life in order to relax, 
But he is back to life now to take on his work with renewed vigor, with the strength that he have, and soon he will have the royal glory and power sitting at God's right hand. He's in a hurry, you could say. It's like when children look forward to daddy coming home. He's been at work the whole day, and, and there comes dad. In his car, his truck pulls in. Children are excited to see dad, but dad knows he has to do something else at home yet, or he has to go to a meeting. So as he comes in and the children hold on to him and cling to him, then it's wonderful. But he also tells them, but, but wait a minute, I have to do some more yet. I have to go on. I cannot sit here the whole evening and read stories to you. It would be nice, but no, I have, to, I have to go to a meeting. Well, that element here too. Because Mary is not told, you're not allowed to touch me. But Mary is told by the Lord, this meeting is not so that we can recreate what we had before. As if this bad situation of the cross is all gone. As if we can return to that time before and and have a nice time together. It is not that I come back to life in order to return to the previous. I have come back to life because I have a purpose. I have a plan. So Mary, don't stop me. Don't cling to me. Don't think you're going to get me back the way it was before. I have to go on. I have to return to my father. You see there, brothers and sisters, that the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, and although we, we commemorate different aspects of that work, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and it's wonderful, but it's all one work. The one God who in his Son glorifies himself, and the Son who glorifies the Father, that is the, the theme that John brings out in his gospel. And every part of that work is part of that plan. So you can't understand his death without his resurrection, and his resurrection without his death, but neither can you understand his resurrection without his ascension, and ultimately with his return on the clouds of heaven. His Work goes on. And that is what he's telling Mary. Mary, I have a purpose. My father has a plan. And I'm back in order to fulfill that plan. Because now I'm qualified to do that. And he indicates that too. Because you may think, well, it's kind of sad, isn't it? That that here Mary thought she had her master back. And now he says, no, don't do this. I have to go on. But yes, the Lord also indicates why he has to go on. What is this purpose of the Father? What is the plan of the Word? And and brothers and sisters, our Lord does not leave Mary empty-handed because look what he says to her. Beautiful words. In a few words, he summarizes the gospel of him dying And having been raised again. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father. My God and your God. There you have it. He said, Mary, that's why I came back. Because my father is now also your father. Through my work, you have been adopted. And your adoption is legal. You are now a child of this Father. Through me, my God is now also your God. 
And you can appeal to him. You may live for him. You have fellowship with him. And that is true because of me. And that's why I'm going there. Because where would I be best suitable to serve you and to help you but at the right hand of the Father, who is also your Father, and at my God, who is also your God? Brothers and sisters, in these few words, our Lord displays to Mary and to us the purpose of his work. When John speaks about the glory of God and, and how the Son and the Father work together, it is also in that the Father receives through the Son all these children. And it's interesting that the Lord Jesus in a moment also will speak about his brothers. That's now possible through his work. So what it tells us is this, that Easter, the resurrection, can only be understood in the context of God's whole work, his plan. And that through this, he is again a step closer to that goal that he has, and that John wrote about already in chapter 1, verse 12, when he spoke about the word that became flesh, and his own did not receive him, but he gave to those who believed in him the authority to be children of God, not because of people, but because of God's work. Well, that is the plan. The plan was that Father, through his only begotten Son, wanted to adopt us as his children. And therefore, our brother, our great brother, he now wants to use his power and his exaltation and his glory to work towards the great family reunion when he will present us all before the father and that's why he says don't hold on to me I have to move on and it's for your benefit I said to you earlier in point one when we spoke about the power of the word that that word comes to you too today that the Lord knows you he knows your needs your circumstances, and he calls you. What does he say to you? He doesn't give the answers to all the questions you may have. He may not tell you exactly why things are happening in your life. He will not tell you how long it will take before it will be over. He tells you something deeper and higher. He tells you, my God is your God. My Father is your Father. So in the struggles that you have, in the uncertainties that you have, that is now secure. And that is how we then also have perspective in our lives. That we know that whatever he brings into my life, Father and Son will fulfill the plan that they have prepared. And my life, they will use it also for their glory. That gives focus and perspective in life and in struggles. Point three. 
We've seen how powerful the word is. We've seen the purpose of the word, working towards that day when the Father and all his children will be together. We bring, come on to the third, and that is the people. And that is an element that comes out in this way, in that in verse 17 it says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. And in verse 18, we read that Mary did that. She went and said it to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she said these things to them. And that is what we just heard about. It's interesting that on the first day that the Lord came out of death, he involved so many women. And they entrusted these women with very important messages. Here's Mary. She has to bring the message to the disciples, to the apostles, the other women too. So the Lord uses women to, to bring the most beautiful news to his servants, the apostles. Now, some want to use that to say, well, that means that we also today should give more attention to what women can do and the message that they can do and that we should involve them more. Some have also used it to promote that women should be in office because, well, look how the Lord used the women here, so why should not we use the women also in that way? But notice, brothers and sisters, what the Lord is doing here. He doesn't say to these women, now you may go out, And tell others. No. He says, now you have to go to the brothers. And that are the apostles. They have to know. And why is it that they have to go to these apostles? Because the church will not be built on the witness of the women. The church will be built on the testimony of the apostles. Those men. And you see that confirmed, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, that well-known chapter about how important it is that we maintain the resurrection of the dead. And Paul brings it back to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives the list of people who have witnessed the risen Lord. He says, there's Peter, there's James, there are the apostles, there are 500 brothers, and most of them are still alive. But notice, they're all men. No mention of women. Because although the Lord involves these women here, and they had the most wonderful task to bring to the apostles, but they had to bring it to the apostles. Because it is through the apostles that the Lord will continue his work. And that is why he also says to Mary, you have to go there. You can say that it flows out of there. Don't hold on to me. Why not? Because there's a plan and there's a purpose and that's why I have to go away. But you won't meet me anymore, but you will meet me through the brothers, through the brotherhood, through the church. Mary was so busy with herself. And now she meets the Lord. And you think it's wonderful, that personal meeting. But the Lord says, no, You go there. I do this now, but don't hold on to this. You go to the brothers. 
Because it is so, and in that way, that you will meet the risen word. It is through the work of these apostles and through the preaching of the gospel that I will manifest the power of my word and fulfill my plan in this world that your God and my God, my Father and your Father. So what the Lord does here, he tells Mary, you have to go to the people of the word and in the fellowship with that people, you will also have fellowship with me. Go to them and tell them. And that way, the foundation is laid for the church and the apostles to go out into this world and proclaim the gospel. Go there. The good shepherd indeed seeks his sheep and he knows you. And he knows you and he calls you by name. But he does that in that he calls you to be part of his fold, of his flock, and to bring you into the flock. And when you deal with your questions, when you deal with your struggles, don't stay by yourself. Don't think you can solve it by yourself. Do not withdraw. But seek the shepherd as he seeks you and comes to you through his word that you hear in the church, the people of the word. For that is how he leads us to his goal. And every Sunday, brothers and sisters, he comes to you as the risen one and he says, I know you by name and I lead you. I lead you onward. And that's why in Hebrews 10, the well-known verse uh, that you should not neglect to meet together. And then the text adds, as you see the day coming closer. The same element of the purpose of the word. And that's why it's all the more important that we meet together and we seek one another so that together we live from the word that lives. And so that together we may rejoice in his victory and that together with him we may walk to the day when God's family will be whole. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.